Let me introduce you to Sarah Cohen. Sarah is from Israel, though it may be hard to tell. English is her second language, and Israel has a draft. That means that every able-bodied boy and girl in Israel must fulfill their patriotic duty and serve in the Israeli military. I never fought a war, and I never shot. Like I never used my gun, and I'm a pacifist. There are no exceptions for pacifists. It was several years ago that Sarah fulfilled her service as an interviewer. She was part of the first line of evaluators who would decide whether teenage men were fit to serve in the military. She's going to share with us a couple of stories from that time and how her experience of military service made me、um, really depressed and very, 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 very against a war. And like, I would start hating myself. Like, hey, here's a really nice seventeen-year-old guy. Let's give him a gun and let him go shoot people. Yeah, let's go there. Oh yeah. Yeah, let's go there. Talking about this night in Hawaii. Very. This happened yesterday. I couldn't get out if I wanted to. The fans. Don't do this. Don't do this, brother. Welcome to Yeah, Let's Go There, the podcast. I'm your host, Jay Russell Mickelson. Sarah Cohen. That's not her real name. And I met in the Trang at HQ Hostel, Vietnam, where we stayed up late telling stories from our childhood. Sarah began her two-year military service when she was only eighteen. When guys are seventeen, you interview them to make sure they're not too crazy to like to be in the army. Yeah. So I would do the, those interviews. Her job was to do a sort of personality test. And if she decided that this person is crazy, then they go to a psychologist,、mm. a real, a real one, and then they decide. Most of the time, her job was mundane because all seventeen-year-old guys are the same. <laughs> they all have football, and they all don't make, do their homework, and they all hang out at the same place every Friday. With their friends, once in a month there will be a guy that will be like, "I play the piano," and it's like, "Oh, let's talk about that." Because we're like so excited. <laughs> Or a guy that would be like, "I stabbed someone." Our stories, because we have two, is about neither of these types. We're going to hear about two boys that were unique. The first showed up to the interview, sat down, and before Sarah had a chance to say hello, he said, "I'm not supposed to be here because I have two children, and a wife, and I study, and I like I was brought here like by the police." Sarah is skeptical, but she looks at his chart and sees that. Oh yeah, he was brought here by like the,、um, the military police that brings people that are avoiding service. So she asks him, "Why aren't you supposed to be here? Why do you say that?" He answers, "I mean, I'm 22 now." Boys get drafted when they're 18.、Uh, when I was supposed to come here for the first time, I came. I told them like my situation, and then they never asked me to come again. And now I have two children. 
and a wife, and I'm not supposed to be here. The boy was an Orthodox Jew. And these guys, I can't explain how different they are, but it's like they have a completely different world. They live in a really small community. It's like extreme poverty, and they study all day. They're not allowed to look at girls. They're not allowed to talk to girls. So he's sitting in this room that is basically like two meters on one meter. We're sitting right across each other, and he can't look at me. And he's like, I can't be here. And usually they don't speak Hebrew because they speak Yiddish, because like Hebrew is a holy language, and so they only use it for like prayer. Um, so you can see that he doesn't really know what he's doing or what's going on. Is he speaking Yiddish to you? No, no, no. He's not Hebrew. Like, it sounds like his second language. It was really, really weird. So Sarah is in a tough spot. Once a boy enters her office and submits to be evaluated, there's no turning back. You can't change your mind halfway through. This boy may have protested and been brought in under threat of arms, but now that he was inside and in the interview room with Sarah, she had no choice but to complete the task. So I did. I did the interview. And she knew immediately that, okay, this guy cannot be in the army, but... Sarah doesn't have that kind of power. She only decides whether a given boy needs further professional psychiatric evaluation. She doesn't decide who does or doesn't enter the army. And I was like, I need to help him somehow. I need to figure out what happened. So I told him, like, okay, wait here, please. I went outside. I wrote, like, the report of the whole interview. And then I went to my commander. And I was like, listen, this guy is 22. He has two kids. He shouldn't be here. He's gonna, they're gonna put him in the army. He has kids and he can't be there. And it's like, it's gonna happen, like, tomorrow and we need to stop it. So her officer asks to see the boy. So they send for him, and when he sits down, the officer asks, Oh, where do you live? The boy tells him, and the officer says, That's not what we have here. Every, like, few months, they send him a letter that reads, You need to come here to sign the thing that you're still studying, and that you're married, and that you have kids. For four years, the military has been requesting his signature, and he never received any of those letters. But the military finally tracked him down and... And they arrested him this morning with, like, you know, his wife, who is probably, like, 21, and two kids. They're babies, and it's, like, all terrifying. According to the military, he was no longer studying and had no children to speak of. So he was considered a draft dodger. But in actuality, he'd simply moved, and the military had failed to make note of his new address. And Sarah figured this out. I fixed, I fixed it for him. He would have gone into the army because once the police come and take you, it's like done. I felt like I saved this guy's life. Some people escape and then they come back, like they leave Israel when they're like 17 and they come back when they're 35 and they probably like sit, uh, they do like um, jail for like a month. some people fear providing service to their country. For Sarah, two years in the military was misery. 
The living quarters were abysmal. It's kind of like being in a really shitty hostel for four months and you can't go home. It's like... You live in a barracks. Horrible. It's like like 15 girls in a room. Everything is sandy because you're usually in the desert because it's Israel. Uh, and it's like horrible and it's hot. Okay, so it's uncomfortable. That's not pleasant, but, you know, deal with it. Okay, they tell you when to wake up. When to take a shower, when to call your parents, what to eat, when's your rest, uh, when to smoke, study, to sports. You can't, like, you can't do anything, you can't think. It's like they take your brain, they tell you to put it someplace, and they tell you you'll get it back in two years. You, you get days off. You get to go home for the weekend occasionally. But because of the effect the service had on Sarah... When I go home for the weekend, I did not leave the house. I would just sit in my room and do nothing. Talk to no one. Like, all of my friends were, like, slowly, like, my high school friends, I would just stop talking to them. I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. I want to be alone. And that was her life. For two years. I really hated it. Have every single moment of it. I hated it. But not everyone feels this way. In fact, before they begin their service, most young Israeli men are itching to start. They want to do their duty to their country. And it sounds exciting from the outside. Some of the things they train you to do is... Uh, learn how to shoot a gun. First aid. SPR? Is that a word? CPR. CPR. A little bit of a Krav Maga. What's that? It's this Israeli... Yeah. That involves hand-to-hand -hand combat with a handgun, using a handgun as a weapon without firing it. You can see how this would appeal to teenagers. Uh, I mean, I'm over 30 and it kind of appeals to me. So, one of these gung-ho types came into Sarah's office one day to do his interview. And as she begins her standard line of questioning, the boy says... I'm really hungry. I need to eat this sandwich. To start interviews, Sarah always keeps it casual. She asks about hobbies. He was a musician, so he played like drums and guitar and piano and like blah, blah and everything. So we were just kind of like talking about that. Um, and he was eating his sandwich. So and he says, I'm really, really hot. I'm really hot. Can you sit on the floor? Yeah, sure. I sit on the floor. As part of Sarah's training, they taught her to say yes to anything the interviewee requests. So we're like moving the stuff around. They need to feel comfortable, so it's okay. like whatever. I would sometimes like take off my uniform if I feel like they're being kind of like terrified by it. So now they're sitting on the floor and he's eating a sandwich with his shirt off. We didn't even start an interview yet because I was just interested in listening. So like, Sarah was thinking, I can talk to this guy for two hours now and then I don't have to do that many interviews today. And then he was like starting to freak out. Like bad. There's a lock on this door Protecting me from beyond Preventing my head. He says strange non sequiturs such as I don't know what to do, I, I'm really hot and I can't breathe. And this makes Sarah nervous. And there's a rescue button in the room. So she thinks to herself, Maybe I'll, I'll just press that and like, I'll take him out to, like, to get some air and maybe we'll have a walk and then come back to the interview. But while she considers it, he says, I'm gonna smoke, I'm gonna smoke a joint. Okay, 
if that if that's what you want to do that you can do that i don't mind blow up in the window no no it's all good like just do it now that's extremely illegal in the army like they drug test you every month and if you have drugs in your urine you go for like three months in jail so that's when it occurred to sarah that something's wrong with this guy and I have like this list of all the, the schools that he's been to, but I haven't even looked at it yet. But now she glances at that paper and notices that there was a school that I didn't know there, like I've never heard of. And she makes a mental note to ask about it later. So he's smoking doobie, he's like relaxing. We start talking about like his friends and they all just play music together. And something is weird about the way that he, he describes his friends as maybe they're like his like cellmates. And I'm like, what, what is this school? He avoids the question a bit, but Sarah persists. What do you do there? How do you, do you live there? Like what's going on? And then I realize it's like a mental institution and that he's been there for like four years. Like his father beat him up. And beat his mother too. And they had to leave and go into like a shelter for like beating up like families. And like they taught him how to play music and they kind of like... Took care of him and mentored him. He was the most interesting person I've ever talked to. Like his life is just fucking, you know, horrible. And he was such a good person. Like he was so nice and kind and sweet and like it's such a good kid. And then he walked away and I was like, he's never gonna be in the army and he's never gonna be like alright, like his life's gonna suck for a long time. There's a lock on this door. There's a lock on this door. After Sarah's two years were over, she becomes a part of the army reserves. When a crisis occurs, such as Egypt or Jordan or Syria or any of the many other neighboring countries that have tenuous relations with Israel, attacks or goes back to war with Israel, Sarah may be called in to duty. But they won't keep you in the reserves indefinitely, at least not if you don't want to be. And luckily, when I was 24, they told me I'd never have to do it again. That was one of the happiest things in my life so far. Thank you to Sarah for sharing her experiences with us. Sarah and I met up a few more times as we each traveled north through Vietnam independently. It's six months since we recorded these stories now, and Sarah is still out there, traveling, seeing the world, and making herself happy. To dance with the dark.
we played several songs throughout the podcast today. In order, they were Mana by T. Ganimo. This is the second T. Ganimo song we've used on Yeah, Let's Go There. I doubt that's the last time we'll find a way to use their music. Cam Cumberland played a beautiful version of Lost Lula on his banjo, which was written by Ferris and Jason Romero. For the fourth time, we've used a Bird Mask original. This one is titled Doubt, and I can't recommend his music enough. He has two full albums and an EP for free on Bandcamp.com, which is linked from our homepage. And wrapping up the show, playing in the background now, is Megan Landry's Dancing with the Dark. Megan was 15 years old when she recorded this song. 15! That's... that's incredible. She's 17 now. She's linked from our homepage, yeahletsgothere.com as well. And that's where you can find, listen to, and download every episode of our podcast. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher, and if you're looking, you can find me, J. Russell Mickelson, on Twitter, at J.R. Mickelson, that's J-R-M-I-K-K-E-L-S-E-N, and on Facebook as J. Russell Mickelson. That's Russell with two S's and two L's. Yeah, let's go there. A new episode every Monday. I'm going there. You should come too.